Hi, I'm Chuck Friedman and you're listening to The Developer's Edge. On this show, we talk to the most inspiring members of our community from around the world and discuss their stories, upcoming projects, and more. Welcome to The Developer's Edge. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Developer's Edge. So excited for today's episode. We have a genuine, brilliant developer here with us as our guest. So happy and excited to welcome Ted Smith. Ted, welcome. Hey, thanks. It's good to be here. So, Ted, tell us a little bit more about your current role at Akamai and what do you do on a, on a daily or weekly basis? Yeah, so I'm a solutions engineer here, which means that I work closely with our sales team to craft technical solutions that are appropriate for our customers' issues. And in particular, I work with our direct-to-consumer group. So that's handling all of our really large media streaming accounts. So I'm, I'm working with all the big streamers, people like... And that's, that's really my world, is streaming media. So I'd like to go back a bit um, and, and ask, where, where did you first discover this passion, or where did you realize that uh, technology or even development was, was going to be a big part of your future? Yeah, I, there was a really specific point when it fully clicked, but I guess it, I always kind of knew that in general technology and anything to do with math and science was something that I was super interested in from when I was really, really little. Just constantly disassembling any electronic device I could in the house, uh, which never ended well as far as parental approval goes. But it, it finally clicked in high school. I got the opportunity to take a C++ programming class which I'm actually kind of surprised thinking back on it was even an option because my high school was super tiny and out in a very rural area. By tiny, I mean my graduating class was close to 40 people. And most of those classes that we offered were more geared towards getting kids jobs right out of high school in kind of farming and ag industries. But randomly there was a C++ programming class and within the first week I knew this is it, this is what I want to do. And that was my junior year of high school, and I immediately knew I'm going to go to school for computer science. I want to pursue this for the rest of my life. It, it didn't take long at all. Awesome. Did you, do you remember the first time you actually built something for, for somebody else, like that you knew was going to be customer-facing, or it was code that you may be delivering to a client or something? I do, yeah. A client might be kind of a strong word here, but it was partway through college. I was working at Coldstone, which... By the way, that was also a fantastic job. We don't really need to include that in the career path, but anytime you get paid to sing and eat ice cream, not bad. But anyway, sidetracks aside, I was working in a Cold Stone ice cream, and at the same time, I was taking a web development class, and we were working on PHP and MySQL. And we had this order system for managing orders for custom ice cream cakes that we used at the shop that was just horrendous and unusable. So I actually wound up building from scratch just this very simple web interface for taking in and managing our orders that we would take. And, you know, it, we wound up using it. Even after I left the store, the manager kept using it for ages. So that was the first application I created that I know was kind of consumed by someone other than myself. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty, that's pretty cool. Like to be in a role like that where expectations are more along the lines of mashing you know, ice cream and toppings, and then you deliver some kind of game-changing solution for them. So yeah, what, what happened? How did you end up uh, arriving at, at and, and let me ask you too, it, um, how long have you been at Akamai? So I've been here almost six years at this point. That's a good run. 
How many? How many? Yeah. Ro- how many roles have you held? Just the one, but I've held it through multiple levels. So I started off as kind of a junior solutions engineer, and I've worked my way up to a, a senior two at this point. So, and I will say, normally that's that's kind of the thing that would make me want to move on from other jobs, being in the same role for the that long. But here at Akamai, it's it changes so often, and the things that I do day to day are constantly evolving. I've I've never felt a tinge of boredom here yet, which is why I, there's so much more to learn in what I'm doing now that I've, I've had no desire to look for that next thing. How does a company like Akamai actually come into play when we're talking about streaming content? So if you think about pulling a static piece of content down from the internet, let's pretend that it's actually a video file. It's a 30-minute episode of some show. Back in the day, that might have been an MP4 file, so one single object. And as Akamai, we could sit in the middle of wherever that's hosted, likely an S3 bucket somewhere, even our own net storage. We would proxy that, slowly serve those bits out to the end user. And you've probably seen this in the past, you know, a decade or so ago, you'd hit play on a file and you could see your buffer growing and growing. And finally, you'd get to the point where, hey, I I could cut off my internet connection and still play back the rest of this file. It's because we just downloaded that whole episode. The way it works today is that we do something called segmented streaming or adapted bitrate streaming. So instead of just downloading an entire video file, we've chopped it up into multiple smaller segments that are just a few seconds long. And we've got those at different quality levels. And the reason this is a benefit is that while you're playing back a video, instead of just downloading the whole thing, if all of a sudden you have a drop in throughput on your internet, we can say, you know what? Hey, let's actually grab a lower resolution version of this video for the next few segments to keep it from having to rebuffer, and then we can bump back up to the high quality once your connection is good again. So, and I promise this is going somewhere. Each of those individual files is just a small static video file that's maybe a couple megs large depending on the quality. So just in the same way that Akamai could distribute out a static HTML page or an image or a JavaScript file, we're doing that same thing for these video segments. Unbelievable. Okay, so as a developer on the other end, putting all this together, um, maybe playing off of an optimal solution that you've guided or architected for them, um, how, do you, how, do you, how do you exchange that information? Does it come in the form of a code sample? Does it come in the form of documentation? You know, what, is it, what is it that you're generating that's going to be most useful to, to the developer? Yeah, I, I like that one. And it's because there's no one answer to it. And, and it lets me kind of give a little bit of backstory into the developers that I work with day to day. So to take a quick step back, I do feel like the, the media customers that I work with, these fully automated workflows driven by engineers is a little bit more of a new concept in that industry than it is the rest of the tech world. And that's because you look at where this stuff evolved from, and we're talking about old school broadcasters that are used to parking a satellite truck outside of a venue and sitting at switchboards in a big old operations center. It, it's a very kind of analog uh, ecosystem that a lot of these folks are coming from. So as opposed to you go talk to a bunch of web engineers and they've been engineers their whole life. You talk to a video engineer and they might have gone to film school, right? So it's they're a lot of the times getting into the engineering game later in their careers. So 
And I feel like that's what's so cool about what I get to do is that very often I'll walk into a completely greenfield situation where we have a customer saying, hey, we've got this very manual workflow and we want to optimize it and offload as much cycles as we can so our engineers can build new cool stuff instead of just maintaining state day to day. In a situation like that, I very well may be giving code samples to somebody. I could be sitting down with an engineer and actually writing an application with them. Uh, some of the more savvy ones, I could be handing off documentation and just fielding questions. I could be giving a demo of something that I wrote using Akamai tools to prove out that, hey, here's how much time and energy this could save you if you went this route. So it's, it's a huge mixed bag of the nature of what I would kind of hand off to a developer depending on the maturity of their kind of engineering organization. What I'm interested in is what, what are some of the methods that have sort of changed over the past six years that have allowed you to enable developers more successfully? So I think the first part is definitely that communication mechanism has changed drastically. It used to be emails and phone calls and now we're interacting with customers who are so streamlined and efficient that like I don't even have time to read an email. I don't have time to hop on the phone. Just just shoot it to me over Slack. And that's the answer I'm getting at is that almost everything these days is done over Slack, whether it be dropping a set of documentation, sending someone a code sample. Um, and half the time, it's not even a person I'm talking to. It's some bot, right, that they've set up to kind of orchestrate this whole thing. So it's been really interesting to see how that communication layer has drastically changed over the last six years, and particularly with the developers that we're interacting with. Awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's great for to have someone like you in your role, too, that can kind of see the future a bit and see where it might be going or see where, where the innovation is going to lead us. So, Ted, you're part of this internal group that we have, which hopefully will make external at some point, which is our developer champions. It's a collection of experts and many folks like you and I and our team that are very passionate about developer success and enabling them. And um, what's your experience been with that group so far? It's been awesome. Like, like you mentioned that passion before, and I always, especially kind of existing in my somewhat sales-oriented role and not getting to play with code as much as I wanted, I felt a little bit siloed in that I was the only one on my team kind of doing what I was doing. And then all of a sudden I got exposed to the rest of the developer champions team. I'm like, oh, there's other mad scientists here. This is amazing. We've got a community of people who are equally as like creative and driven and uh, appropriately cynical at times. So it's just... I found a, a home in this program with a whole bunch of other people who are just pushing the limits, uh, people that I can kind of aspire to catch up to. It, it kind of reminded me, actually, I was on a bike ride a couple years ago and I was uh, going up this really steep climb and someone flew by me. And I even mentioned on the way, uh, I'm like, oh man, I, I usually don't get past. And the guy shouted back to me, if you're, if you're the smartest one in the room, you're in the wrong room. And that statement stuck with me for a long time. So being a part of the development for champions team and seeing a bunch of people who are like pushing the limits even more than I am I'm like awesome this is good it's the drive that I need to you know keep pushing this forward as much as I can that was amazing um, you as an individual in, in your role what are some of the go-to resources that you leverage that either internally or externally <laughs> uh, the stack exchange all the time I'll say that it, because I'm not developing full-time anymore, a lot of times when I'm fielding questions, it's, okay, absolutely, let me, let me go figure that out for you, which what I'm really saying is, let me go learn how to do that real quick. 
So I, I'm constantly either reteaching myself, re-educating myself, or just learning something completely new. And I, I know that Stack Exchange can be kind of like the Wikipedia of the engineering world. You got to take everything you see with a grain of salt there. But to be honest, it's usually the first search that I drop on, and it'll be enough to give me kind of a starting point to, okay, I, I'm not 100% sure I trust this is the way to do it, but it's at least something I can try and evolve into what I'm trying to accomplish ultimately. More personally, not to say that our work isn't very personal, because it is, uh -huh. but other things that you're interested in beyond the technology side of your life, do you, do you apply this sort of, let me research, let me, let me go to something like a Stack Overflow or a comparable resource? Uh, for other things that you might you might do in your in your spare time. Yeah, it, absolutely. It, it's funny because I've I've told people before that like when I talk about hobbies, my hobby is collecting hobbies, right? I'm just always bouncing from one thing to another, and I think the reason I like that so much is because it gives me a really good excuse to kind of research and educate myself on something new. That's that's really the part that I like. I'll get to a point where I feel like okay, I've gotten okay at this new thing that I want to do. But I've already done the fun part. It's not the actual task. It was the research that led up to me being able to accomplish the task. The things that drive me to do what I do are like data gathering and learning and education. So that's, that's probably the spark in the back of my mind that makes me do what I do, whether it be professionally or in my own personal life. Based on where we're taking the group and, you know, some of the ideas we've shared, I mean, is there anything on the horizon that you're particularly excited about or that you think will be uh, sort of beneficial or, or bring a surge of value to our developer community? I, I'd say anything customer-facing at this point. Like, we're, we're doing great stuff within Akamai, but like I mentioned before, anytime we can take those small snippets and package them up for consumption by a larger audience, I feel like that's when this is really going to take off, right? There's so much stuff that we can and have done here that I think the the general public just isn't aware of. And by general public, I mean like our developer community. So I, I think once we start exposing as much of that as possible to the outside world, that's really what I'm excited about. Awesome. Well, on that note, I want to thank you again, Ted, for spending some time with us on the Developer's Edge. It's been amazing to get to know you a bit more uh, continuing to get your insight and everything that's led you on your journey and enabled you to support others, uh, our customers, our developers, to be successful with the platform. Uh, really great to have you here today. I uh, hope everyone enjoyed our conversation with Ted, and we'll look forward to seeing everybody next time. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Developer's Edge. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you'd like to hear more, head to the Akamai Developer YouTube channel to check out some of our other developer stories. Till next time, take care and we'll talk again soon.